Welcome to the Asian Heart Mind Body Collective. I'm Adele Ray. And I'm Danielle Jung. We're here to bring essential healing to Asian communities and beyond. This podcast holds sacred circle for everyday people by integrating mindfulness practice, cross-cultural ritual, and storytelling. With the tools of our own medicine, we unearth the impact of intergenerational trauma, unravel the deeper connection between all things, and explore the spiritual mystery of simply living every day in our beautiful Asian bodies. Join us and dive deeply into the discovery of our own medicine and heart, mind, body awareness. Hello, listeners, and welcome back. Uh, We're excited for episode three with our dear guest, Helen Park, who is a therapist and social worker and arts educator. Uh, We have a really exciting topic today for you. We're going to be focusing on the topic of healing and anti-oppressive integrative systems therapy. So get ready for a juicy discussion ahead. Hey, Helen, you here? I am here. Hello. Hi, Helen. She's going to give us a, she's going to gift us with a guided meditation after our discussion. Yay. Thank you, Helen, for doing that. (laughs) Absolutely. Given where we are in history right now, we wanted to kick off the conversation uh, just hearing a little bit more about your own experience, you know, as a Korean Asian American woman and with your hats uh, as a clinical social worker and a therapist, how have you been experiencing what's been happening in our Asian communities these past few months and for for history as well? Yeah, um, that's such a really important question just to open with. Um, I mean, I think just specifically in the last um, year or so pandemic, um, just in terms of the anti-Asian violence that's been happening. Um, yeah, it's it's real. I mean, I've really felt it. I've felt the, the terror of it, um, the fear of it. Um, it's been really hard. And I think a lot of people are have experienced that. I think also just our um, Black and Indigenous bodied brothers and sisters also um, have experienced uh, versions of this for generations, you know. And, you know, I think for Asian Americans um, and Asians in this country, it's interesting because, you know, like personally, I have always sort of known that my safety um, or I've always felt that my safety and especially like white dominant spaces was I could never take for granted. Um, And, you know, on some level, but it was more kind of like, I'm, I would walk into a room and be sort of uh, ready to, um, you know, hear something presumptuous something racist right so it was more kind of around language and perceptions of who I am yeah and the violence that's been happening it's it's actual physical harm right that is is being enacted and so that just takes on a whole other level of um of terror yeah and uh yeah it's been hard yeah that that experience that you mentioned like just like preparing to like come into a room can could you say more about like what that actually might feel like in your in your body Mm -hmm, absolutely yeah so um you know I think 
um, and and we'll we'll actually talk about um, Resmaa Menachem's work. Um, but I think of you know in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, he has an exercise where, as a um, person of color, or as he terms us, uh, bodies of culture. So as a body of culture, when you walk into a room that's like predominantly filled with white body people, like what do you feel in your body? And you know, and like. For me, like I know that I feel constriction, I feel tension, I feel um, even though outwardly, you know, I may be presenting as fine and, you know, I'm good and like just, you know, but there's definitely some and I know that there's some part of me, um, you know, even in the most like benign spaces, like that's just a little bit watching out. Um, and that's a really, you know, I think as um people of color like we navigate the world um all the time on some level you know there's that awareness so there's a certain kind of constriction in the body there might be you know kind of tensing in the body um a heightened kind of awareness of what's happening in the space um you know and not to say like i'm walking around like super you know paranoid but it's like you know but there is a kind of um vigilance that awareness that you sense right you're sensing the space you're feeling it out right yeah I mean in talking with friends and family about what's happening in Asian communities like the terror is real and I think a lot of us are walking around with some level of paranoia and and fear like the terror that you you mentioned Mm -hmm. whether or not we're cognizant or conscious of it or not right right yeah, and I think that there was something, you know, I mean, I definitely, especially at the beginning of the lockdown, when there there were incidents of um, violence happening against um, Asian-bodied people, and I, you know, remember feeling especially fearful for my family, you know, who mostly live in these sort of like Midwestern, very like um, majority white um, communities, and so it wasn't really until a few months ago, I think when I like, you know, was going through New York Times and I like saw this headline, it was like, I know if I click on this headline, it's not going to be good for me, but I have to also click on this headline. It was really about specifically Asian women who were being targeted. Mm-hmm. And so that really hit, that mm-hmm. hit in a way that I did not see coming um, because it was like the, that kind of reckoning of okay, now they're here for me, you know, and Mm. like me specifically. And that had a whole other um, level of upheaval that I did not emotionally, psychically, that was just super overwhelming. Um, And so I've, I've really been really, really leaning deeply into my spiritual practices, my um, healing practices, ancestral practices, because, you know, it was like, how do you, how do you walk out into the world, right? How do you still, like, still wanting to actually, like, refusing to let the fear completely overtake you? Um, and, and yet also, it's very much alive in your body, right? So, so how, how do we then take a step out and just be in the world in the way that we want to be in the world? And, and, you know, and to have a level of, um, 
of freedom and agency over that. And um, so that's been a really interesting process. And I've definitely been really leaning, leaning into those practices as well as my teachers, um, you know, uh, a few of whom are black bodied and, and or queer. And so just learning from them, like how, how have they kind of been able to, you know, still move through the world um, in their freedom and agency while also knowing that there are people out there who want to annihilate their bodies, right? So, um, yeah, so it's been really important for me to kind of really lean in to to those practices and teachings. What have you um, learned from the, your teachers um, to help you in dealing with this this moment in our history um, where Asian women in particular are being targeted? Um, one teacher, especially um, Lama Rod Owens, who um, is author of Radical Dharma, and he's just a really just amazing, fabulous teacher um, and, and friend who I teach with. And um in, in Radical Dharma, he talks about, you know, growing up in the South as a Black, queer, bodied person and knowing that when he walked out of the door, there were people who wanted to kill him um, and historically have wanted to kill him. And so, you know, I guess I, you know, I thought of him during this time, especially because um, he refused to allow that right, to, like, overtake him and paralyze him and, you know, walked into the world fully aware of the consequences and also completely, you know, refusing to be um, subsumed by the terror of it. And yet he says, like, you do that, you know, you make the choice to still walk out to be, you know, liberated of those fears. But also part of that is that you actually have to fully accept the consequences of what could happen. So that's, that's not like an easy thing, right? No, I mean, that, not at all. I mean, that second part when he kind of reiterated that to me one time, it was like, oh, right. That was a part I didn't want to uh, come to terms with. Um, but it's powerful. It's really, but I, but, you know, like he's also speaking of this in, in the context of doing these incredibly like powerful, like, um, contemplative, um, you know, sort of in, in his tradition, tantric practice, um, working with, um, with these energies. So I perceive what you're saying as, um, basically, warrior i hear Mm, warrior and mm -hmm. like having to put out the having to bring out using your modalities of healing to bring out what you need to show up for as a Mm -hmm. warrior Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. not to to cower down or to hide but to bring out the inner warrior in us Mm. to say "Mm -mm, i exist i am here i am not going anywhere and and you know that's about it like right you got to deal with that right right yeah, I that's, love that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And and I think of um you know it's it's a you're kind of a spiritual warrior, right? I mean, you have to mm-hmm. um I mean, we also need to know how to defend ourselves um physically, um but really the the sort of um I think the the strength or the armor that we have to 
develop is is internal, um, you know, in our in our bodies and our psyche, um, and in our spirit to be able to still walk in the world with our dignity, you know, to walk with um, without all, and actually like really importantly to also walk through the world, um, you know, in this kind of warrior spirit, but without um, hardening and closing off our hearts. Um, you know, so that's, that's like real, that's practice. You know, I think that's a spiritual practice. Yeah. Wow. I'm just, I'm just kind of absorbing that, uh, this, this, this warrior spirit. I love that Adele, this idea, like you were saying, Helen, that we still walk out there as we are and yet accept, be open to and accept any particular outcomes without, Mm -hmm without closing off our hearts. I mean, that, that is a moment by moment practice, as yeah. you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I was also thinking about like, you know, we, um, people who, you know, Asians, um, uh, marginalized people who are othered and media, when you talked about the spirit, like there's the physical violence you have to be concerned about, but then you were talking about the spirit, Helen, I was thinking about how we are already conditioned to be warriors in the, in the psycho spiritual way. If we have that in us to Mm. protect ourselves, um, to, to, to maintain our self-esteem because we're bombarded with stereotypes, right? We're bombarded Mm -hmm. with, this is what you are when you know, this is not what I am. So you already have to have that kind of like, that exterior to like, you know, shield. But um, as you were saying, Helen, bringing it back, like don't let it harden your heart. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Is a key, as a key nuance that we have to understand so that we don't close ourselves off from everybody else. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. Helen, in your practice and with your clients and even in your own personal experience, what, what goes into keeping our hearts open to softening, to tenderizing our hearts? Mm. It's, oh man, I mean, that might be what it's all about, really, you know, um, because it's so easy to harden and to close off, right? Um, And to, and we're talking about like racism and racialized harm, how easy, how much easier it would be if we can just sort of, um, you know, turn it into the sort of dichotomous self other, um, you know, and and sort of collapse the humanity of others, just as our humanity is, is attempting to be collapsed right into these stereotypes. And, and that's really, you know, to be able to inflict harm on somebody, there's a level of dehumanization, right, that has to happen before. So, to sort of maintain that that's that openness of heart. Um, I mean, in therapeutic practice, when I'm with clients, it's so much about um, creating a space for people to be able to be vulnerable, to um, to give that kind of humanity, and and uh, to really validate um, in a really fundamental way unconditionally someone's vulnerabilities um and complexity you know i think the 
when we begin to lose sight of a person's complexity, um, you know, we get really lazy and it's also really easy to, to just kind of write them off, including ourselves. Like if we are also, and I think a lot of, um, for Asian people, especially Asian women who are not socialized to know how to take up space and know how to take up their own space, whether that's physical space and especially emotional space. Right. So, um, that's something, you know, like I definitely had to learn. And, um, and so I really, you know, for Asian identified clients who I work with, especially for women, it's really like how to, you know, help people gain ownership and agency of reclaiming um, their emotional lives, their, their, their psyches, right? Their, um, their full expression of that. Um, and it really kind of has to start there. It has to really start with yourself, right? And then gradually, as you learn to um, have that kind of compassion and tenderness toward your own experience, then we can begin to um, practice. How do we do that for others, right? I mean, in, in Buddhist practice, it's how do we do that for the loved one, for the stranger, and for the enemy or the challenging person equally. And, you know, so how do we sort of maintain that, um, that kind of um, compassion for, for others, just as we try to hold that for ourselves. So it's really, you know, like, holding complexity, holding, um, uh, you know, empathic perspective taking of others, um, and also have holding your anger, right. And knowing like when you have anger towards others and how do we hold anger towards other people, um, without sort of collapsing their humanity, you know, into kind of a, just one dimensional, like they're just bad, you know? So, Mm -hmm. which is like so much easier to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what you were saying about, um, how to embrace our own complexity that allowing us to be able to connect to and hold space for others complexities is so key to this to this warriorship mm, spirit mm-hmm. uh, that we're talking about here and and also I think for Asian women I know from my own experience you know when I even think about the women in my life right uh, there can be this equating of like the warrior spirit to you know, um, hiding away of emotions and our complexities and like only, only showing, you know, our, our strength and resilience and, and not allowing sort of the softening to, to be at the forefront. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but just how can we allow for all of that to, to be here with us and not hide away any of those pieces? Right. I tend um, to oscillate between either putting myself in a position of completely passive, which is very rare because I like to, like Danielle was saying, like to be robust, you know, independent woman or whatever. Um, But then sometimes if I'm misaligned or things aren't aligned, my, my forcefulness, my warrior nature is comes out as like a harsh, like blunt Mm -hmm. honesty, like being truthful and honest and calling things out is important um, and speaking the truth, but timing 
and sensitivity mm. of execution <laughs> is also important. And, um, you know, you don't want to be acting on your own wounds and just taking right. it on somebody else, right? Exactly. even if you're justified, you know, yep. I find that that's, yep. that's, that's a subtlety or a nuance that complexity that you're talking about for me personally that I'm trying to work on. Mm, yeah. That's such a great point. Yeah. And that's, you know, in therapy, we, um, so I mostly work with like couples and I work with a lot of families and um, where there's relational harm happening. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. and how um, one way of understanding um, these things and what you're talking about Adele is there's um, there's actually a, a framework that we use in, in couples therapy in particular called the vulnerability cycle. And part of that is, is understanding first um what our own vulnerabilities are that get sort of triggered um, in relationship. And, you know, we can even bring this out in, from like interpersonal intimate relationships to just like also social, socio, socio cultural relationships in the world. Right. So when, when we are starting to feel vulnerable um, oftentimes, you know, we get scared and we need to, what we've learned throughout our lives is how ways to protect that vulnerability, um, as well as ways to try to get our needs met in relationship. And often those come out in what we call survival strategies. And, you know, and that's to say that these are strategies that we learned and developed over time that were, that were adaptive. They weren't, they're not pathological, right? They're not like, um, um, something to be ashamed of, right? They're, they're just ways Mm -hmm. that we learn to protect ourselves and to survive. And so, but often, um, you know, and, and maybe they worked at a certain time, but then often as we're growing, they, they not only do they not work, but they actually work against us and getting our needs met, right? So if we're like mm-hmm. um, noticing if we're feeling vulnerable or exposed and we start to kind of act out um, in the survival strategy, it often actually, you know, it can often look like, um, you know, attempts to become more controlling or to control other people or anger or shutting down. I mean, what, there's so many that we have, right. Um, and that actually, that, that kind of creates yet more that, you know, it, it creates more causes and conditions for more rupture and more harm. Um, and, you know, when you're in, in relationship with someone that those survival strategies then often, trigger the other person's vulnerability so they start to feel their own vulnerability and they have their own survival strategy that they begin to enact which then kind of locks you in this cycle right so how do we get Mm -hmm. out of that we have to first know what's happening and then begin to i mean one of the things that we're talking about and creating space um for experiences is to be able to um offer tenderness and healing, you know, to go into the vulnerability and instead of enacting the survival strategy, stay with it, right. And be with it and heal Mm -hmm. it. And that's, we have to interrupt, you know, that kind of impulse to go to the survival strategy. And in order for the healing to happen, we kind of have to stay with that vulnerability, which is often really uncomfortable and, and hard. Um, But that's where it's at. And that's kind of where this healing begins. And it's also how we maintain this openness of, of heart and, um, and our, and our own complexity as well as for others. 
Right. So, yeah. and, and Helen, what does the, the role of uh, the wisdom of our body play in, in helping to heal some of these survival strategies that we've adapted mm. over time? Great question. It, are the wisdom of our bodies holds so it's so much. Um, I think, especially when we're talking about healing vulnerabilities and wounding, um, it's it's all in the body. Um, you know, there's ton. There's a lot of like just in trauma work. You know, I mean, it's. I think it's pretty well understood that trauma is held in the body. It's not a cognitive, intellectual process. Um, and so we have to kind of start from, it's a very sort of bottom up process. So meaning like we have to, um, you know, our bodies tell us when we're safe and when we're not safe and they also, but they can also trick us, you know, into, um, believing we're not safe, right? So often we're like, if we have vulnerabilities that are kicked up and very like um, unmetabolized and, you know, very, very sort of like the open wound, right? That's the survival strategy. Also another way of understanding that it's like, it's the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight, flight, freeze response, right? It's the survival stress response that's getting kicked up. So if that's happening, that means like your body is getting prepared is prepared to fight or to flee. Um, and it's, it's not feeling safe, right? So the body is doing lots of things to, to gear up. It's like, you know, our breath gets shorter, the heart rate gets faster. Um, you know, we might experience other, you know, some people get stomach aches some people get headaches, you know, there's a constriction. So like earlier when we were talking about that kind of, um, you know, as I was describing, if I, sometimes if I walk into a room, like I feel that constriction. If I can be aware that that's happening, I know my body's telling me that there's something going on for me that I need to tend to, right? So um, so it t- our bodies really tell us so much around like how we're doing, um, are we feeling safe? And if we're not feeling safe and we're feeling you know, starting to move into kind of dysregulation, um, you know, we, we begin to, to lose agency and control over, um, our experience, over our actions, um, over what, you know, the meaning that we're making of, of any moment. So the body tells us a lot in terms of what we, how we need to heal, where we need to heal. Um, and it's, it's so, so critical, um, that we, develop tools and awareness to, to pay attention and to listen to our bodies and what's going on. Awesome. I'm wondering if you could expand upon the, the type of healing modalities that you work in and, you know, what, what, what comes up for you, like all the different types of work you're doing, the tools and techniques that you're practicing, if you could share with us, it would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I actually came into the field of um, psychotherapy and social work through Buddhism and through contemplative practices and um, Buddhist psychology. That was really kind of where, you know, I mean, as like, you know, before I was working in the arts and then it kind of, as I got deeper into my spiritual practice, um, 
and and also was kind of looking for a new direction in my life it kind of opened up into um you know the world of um contemplative psychotherapy and that just was like amazing to me because it was so it wasn't i mean there's a lot you know i guess in this field I, there that that does rely solely on kind of more talk therapy but we're looking at like contemplative it's really integrating um a, a wisdom of the body a wisdom of the the mind and the body um and you know there's a certain sort of um you know understand we're more than just our cognition right so that that's kind of um where where i started from in terms of like entering the field of therapy yeah then i i ended up training and um family therapy, so family systems therapy, which is couples and family therapy. And that is, you know, looking at um, the problem, you know, a lot of times when we think of therapy, like people show up to individual therapy and it's like the individual is having the problems and you're working through it. And systems therapy, um, we're looking at the whole system. So we're looking at the system of the couple or the family and that the problem doesn't sort of reside just in one person. Um, but the problem is relational, right? And so, and when we begin to expand on the relational, we also expand on the context of the family or co- their life context, their um, identities. Um, you know, it just, it kind of like, it just gets more and more um, sort of uh, um, complex as we kind of look at all the systems involved. So that I really liked because it really coincided um, nicely with like the Buddhist view of interdependence um, Mm. and interconnection. So that really understanding that like healing happens in relationship um, Mm. and that that sort of if, if we can, you know, as a therapist, it's like if I can help people, um, you know, find like the own, their own strengths and ways of healing together in their relationship, that that will also, you know, there's a kind of like uh, feedback loop between like the individual experience, um, psychic experience, psychological experience, and the relational experience that so those two things are, are also really interconnected. So I got really into systems therapy because it really kind of, it, it kind of casts this huge net over like how to understand um, human suffering and healing. And, and I always knew it was really important for me to seek out, um, other like non-Western, um, modalities of healing. So I started training in indigenous focusing oriented therapy. That is, um, very like somatic, um, body-based, um, healing and, um, and it really, it beautifully integrates like indigenous, frameworks um, of healing and of trauma. Um, And so that's something that really appealed to me that I felt was really important to develop, especially because a lot of my clients are um, non-white identified. And I just, you know, sometimes you just, you need more than just the the language and the talking. Um, And we needed, you know, to find like sort of more culturally expansive um, modes of working. So that's another um, way of working that I'm exploring. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also uh, currently training with um, Rosa Menachem, who's the author of My Grandmother's Hands, um, in 
his uh, the somatic abolitionism training program for therapists and coaches. And, and in that, we're really kind of, that's very experiential. So in that, like, I'm really kind of, um, you know, reading some, some, what he calls not, he, he's very particular about not using the language of tools, but I'm using, I'm learning new toys to work with. So um, to play with, to really explore how to work with, um, you know, racialized trauma and, and healing. Um, and, and those two, the somatic abolitionism and the indigenous focusing oriented therapy are very like, they're very, um, um, I would say they, they very much decolonize the work of healing and therapy. And they they understand that there's just so much, so there's so much richness to like how we can heal. Right. So it's, it's more than just, um, our, our sort of intellect and, cognitive behavioral whatever you know there's a lot there's a lot more to us I, I really love wow. those practices wow. for that yeah uh something you said there Helen about um this this work this indigenous work uh being this way of expanding culturally I know something that um Adele and I are exploring is how to ensure that we are integrating you know the cultural aspects of a lot of these um mm-hmm. practices and healing modalities and spiritual traditions do you have any thoughts about you know the what we've seen in in western culture and society and in the way of mindfulness as as we know it um and that sort of stripping away of culture in some mm-hmm. way and Mm. Yeah, your work to and cultural appropriation, being mindful, yeah. right. not doing that. Right. <laughs> I guess what right. you're saying, did yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, um, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, just just speak on like the mindfulness, um, the secularization, and and kind of pop culture mindfulness. Um, you know, it's just it's. I I have such a I recoil from it, um, not just because it it. Um, I mean, I think it's great if people, if it, if it reaches more people, however, I, it's so problematic when you strip it away from when it is appropriated, because what happens often is that we lose the ethical teachings of mindfulness, we lose the wisdom teachings of mind. I mean, there's, it's like, mm-hmm. it just becomes like, learn this new stress reduction technique. And it's like, it's actually not at all a stress reduction <laughs> technique if you're really doing it. Um, because it's actually, That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not a technology to utilize toward your own, you know, kind of your own purpose, personal purposes, it, you know, mindfulness as taught by the Buddha and, and by many, many other contemplative, um, spiritual teachers, you know, it's, there's a wisdom and there's, there's a really strong ethical, framework there's an understanding of karma um you know i mean there's just all of this that that gets lost and that's where it's that's so much of the problem because no one Can wants to mention something yeah yeah oh sorry mm-hmm. i was just gonna say uh what brings to mind is spiritual bypassing yeah right mm-hmm. like, like let's just use this tool so that we can escape our real problems and not yes. face them yep and there's a lot of that mm-hmm. in western culture Yes, absolutely. And when they when they you know try to do these 
these things mm-hmm. that you know these healing practices that have a thousands and thousands of year old wisdom traditions. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and and that they're actually meant to um, help us um, create more capacity to meet whatever arises. Right, and what and what might be arising might be terrible. It might be it might be chaotic. It might be painful. Right, but yeah, that so we we don't do exactly that, that we don't do the bypassing, that we actually need it. Right. And again, you know, in the Shambhala tradition, they talk about that warriorship, right. So um, to be able to show up to it um, with an open heart, but also with full, you know, um, full open arms of embracing what this is, not accepting, right. Like terrible circumstances, but meeting it so that we can work with it, we can work, we go through it, right, rather than trying to go around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that would require like, you know, a, a facilitator, a therapist like you, Helen, or people who, healers who hmm. are trained in helping. Like, you, I, I feel like you need yeah. to have guidance. You can't just think yeah. you can solve yeah. your own problem. I just want to make that clear to everybody here yeah. who's listening, you know. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, we, we have a certain capacity to heal ourselves, but certain types of trauma needs, you know, real, like, professional support. Um, right. I don't want to say professional because it could be like, you know, the word professional sounds like you have to have a certificate. But yeah, people yeah. who have mm-hmm. years of experience healing people in this mm-hmm. in this way. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And you bring up a really great point that we can't, we don't heal alone. Right. And, and the, the point of, and the importance of community um, and, and, and being in relationship again, like we have to be in relationship with someone, with, with others. Um, And one of the things I love about with somatic abolitionism and with indigenous focusing oriented therapy are, and, and also actually from the Buddhist um, viewpoint is the importance of community. That it's not just you one-on-one with a therapist. It's also you with your community, with your ancestors, with your lineage, um, with others who are, you know, allied and joining with you. who have got your back, right? Like, and, and of nature and other sentient beings. Like, it's, it's sort of, and from the indigenous view, it's, you know, all our relations, right? We're, we're all of it is part of our our aliveness and relatedness and part of our healing. Um, and, and that's so important. We can't do it alone. We shouldn't do it alone. Mm. Yeah. Going back to Danielle's question about the indigenous focused therapy, how do you hold it in a way that's ethical? Right. Oh yeah. So, like, uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So, well, indigenous focusing oriented therapy is a, it is a modality um, for therapy. It's a therapeutic modality. Um, you can look it up online. It's um, it actually started from so focusing oriented therapy is a somatic um, kind of therapy that was created um, by a man named Gene Gunlin, I believe, in Chicago. It was um, he developed this um, focusing oriented therapy as a way to work with complex trauma um, that was somatic and what he developed um, really kind of developed the sort of central idea of like the felt sense 
and sort of creating space for the trauma to be sort of felt and, and um, brought forward for the healing. So um, as folks were sort of learning, um, you know, therapists all over the world were kind of learning this focusing oriented therapy. Um, there was a um, First Nations Aboriginal woman in Canada by the name of Shirley Turcott, um, who was also learning this therapy and beginning to take it to the communities that she was the indigenous um, or Aboriginal communities in Canada that um, she's from and that she's working with. And they were finding that this therapy actually worked really, was really well received with particularly communities of color who have experienced um, a lot of complex trauma. And so Shirley took this modality and actually um, expanded it and created what she what in Canada was called Aboriginal focusing oriented therapy, and began bringing in her own um, as a therapist and as a um, as a Aboriginal woman um, and clinician in Canada, like the ways that she was sort of integrating her practices in, in the therapy. So she actually kind of then kind of codified it and and created a way of working that integrated the focusing oriented therapy with um, the sort of Aboriginal um, ways of, of healing and working um, with trauma that, that she was doing and then created kind of this new thing called Aboriginal Focusing Oriented Therapy. She started then, you know, kind of creating and, you know, that became um, a modality that, that was being offered as a training to therapists. And now it's come to the U.S. Um, as Indigenous Focusing Oriented Therapy. Um, you know, there, there's a, there is a very um, uh, particular way that, um, you know, folks train in it. You, there's a sort of cohort and program that we're all in. And for, and actually one of the, the reasons why it's sort of, it, it's been postponed, like we've been meeting virtually, but it's actually really important that we hold space in person um, to learn these practices. And so, the and and also I, I would say that the teachers who um, my teachers are all women of color um, who have learned directly from Shirley, so there is a um, mm. a kind of lineage and honoring of the um, indigenous frame. You know, we're not we're not kind of going out and, tr and saying, oh, we're we're taking we're taking like you know indigenous spiritual practices and using it it's it's actually they they have been it's it's more like um indigenous worldview um and understanding of healing and trauma and ways of working like visualization there's a lot of meditation and sort of um like uh body-based um meditations that are used um in the therapy so we're you know we're trained in this in a particular way so that um you know, we can kind of be worthy of, of actually um, using these these practices in our own work. So it's it's definitely, I think, um, yeah, the, the issue of appropriation is very much um, a, you know, at the forefront of really being very careful to not do that. Um, and I think coming, you know, it's trusting that it's, it's coming from, um, the source um, or yeah. a trusted source and passed down is really important. 
Yeah, for me, like uh, to learn anything, especially in the spiritual realm, I guess, and for you in the he- healing realm, you know, it's always good to like know the lineage. And if I can't track the lineage of a teacher, yeah, then it's really difficult for me to latch on and mm. really embody the teachings because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if it's because of the Buddhist in me and I'm like, it's got to go trace back all the way to the Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's... Yes. <laughs> Really. So that's that's really yeah. good to hear that it's not like some anthropologist went and like hung out with the tribe and like no. took all their stuff like a Carlos Castaneda type situation or something. Oh, Although no. I read that it was a good book. <laughs> all right. Well, thank Helen. Such rich, rich experience that you're sharing with us and our listeners. Maybe to walk us towards uh, the the wrap up of our, our conversation today. One question we wanted to to ask you, uh, if you're willing to share, what does heart mind body practice mean to you? Oh, it's such a great! I love the heart mind body. Um, the just like that collection of words. Um, it means it means kind of like everything we've been talking about today, you know, it means sort of how do we heal? How do we, how do we liberate ourselves and others um, from suffering? Um, You know, that, and I, I think it's so, I love that you do include the heart and it's not just the body and the mind, right? Because, um, we need all of that. And when, and, you know, something that Resma says, like in, in doing semantic abolitionist work is that in order to do the work, we have to have thick skin, fortified mind and a soft and malleable heart mm. so that we can actually, you know, and actually that, that lat, this, the malleable heart piece is for me, sometimes the hardest, especially when we're talking about, racism and racialized harm, but we have to, that's so, and we have to have that because that is how we heal. It's how we learn to ask for help and support from other people. And we allow other people in to help us heal. Um, And so we need all of it. We need all those parts of ourselves. So it's, it's, you know, I don't, we, I don't think we can only have the mind. We can't just have heart we can't just have body right we need there has to be an integration um in all of this because we're we are also a living system right of uh relatedness um so yeah i just i love that sort of that collection of of words together um i feel like it it really like sums things up so beautifully Hmm. thank you helen that was a beautiful way to uh, just pull everything together from our conversation today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, well, I know uh, our listeners are excited to have you lead us in a in a brief meditation. Yes. Okay. So um, I'm going to lead us through the uh, Seven Homecomings meditation, as I've learned it from uh, Lama Rod Owens. And I'll start us off with a bell. So just finding yourself in a comfortable and supported posture. If you need to lay down, that's fine. 
if you're seated in a chair, um, just allow your feet to make full contact with the floor and connect to the sort of grounding energy of the floor beneath your feet. Allow your spine to just find a nice, gentle and uh, natural lift. Not too rigid, just allow the spine to lift. Allow the chest to soften. So as we think about our back being nice and stable and supportive and our heart space soft and open, kind of allow for that soft and malleable heart that you're talking about. And if you're noticing any tension in your face, just allow that to drop away and allow this conversation to drop away. And together we can just take a few really nice deep purging breaths. And um, on your inhale, go ahead and inhale fully through the nostrils, filling up your belly like a balloon. Really just take your time. Breathe in all the air that you can. And when you reach to the very top of the inhale, hold it for just a moment. And then through the mouth, give yourself a nice long exhale out with a sigh, just purging any stale air in the lungs. And we'll, we'll do that two more times. So take a nice deep breath through the nose. Hold it at the top and then release. Very long exhale through the mouth. And one more time. Wonderful. And then just allowing your breath to find a nice um, natural rhythm. And slowly, we're going to call to mind seven homecomings. And our, our homecomings are in the, in the Buddhist tradition, also called refuge. And the first homecoming will be that of our teachers. So just call to mind all of your teachers. Visualize them, bring them into the room, imagine them sitting with you. And these are all of the, your teachers, mentors, benefactors, those who have taught you how to access your own wisdom and clarity, as well as your own compassion and open heart. So calling in all of our teachers and feeling their presence in the room next to you. And our second homecoming 
will be the homecoming of our of the teaching. And so this could be anything, a book, a piece of music, artwork, film, poetry, any kind of text, sacred text or media that helps bring you to your natural clarity and wisdom and compassion. So just calling all of your sacred texts to mind and imagine those filling the room also with your teachers. And then next we will call to mind the third homecoming, which is the community, sacred community. And Lama Rod always um, defines community as the place where you are loved and also the place where you are called to love. So who's in that community with you? Bring them into the space. And if you don't have this community, that's okay. It can also just simply be the aspiration to have this community. So who are the people who love you? And also those who invite you in and maybe even challenge you to love. And bring them into the space with you. And then next, um, our next homecoming will be our ancestors and lineage. So calling in our ancestors who wish us well, who wish us love and happiness in our lives, bring those ancestors and your space. Imagine them maybe at your back supporting you. And smiling at you. offering their kindness and benevolence. And we'll also call in um, at this point are those who are our lineage holders. So, and this can be people who are doing the kind of work, who have done the work that you do. They can be artists, other healers or therapists, writers, scientists, doctors, 
So anyone who has come before us and who did the work for us to actually be here in this lifetime doing the work that we're doing. And these can be people who you know or just people who you have read about and learned from. So just calling them in. And then next we will call in the refuge, the homecoming of the earth. So just take a moment to touch into the energy of the, the earth below you, wherever you are, and knowing that the earth holds everything witnesses everything. The earth has witnessed your own suffering and your own healing. And you can even call to mind the image of the, of the Buddha under the Bodhi tree when he um, sat through the night and all of his demons and Mara and reached enlightenment. And the first thing he did was to touch the earth. So just in that way, touch the earth. And come home to the earth. And our next homecoming will be the homecoming of silence. So just take a moment to allow yourself to rest and be held by the silence around you. And then our final homecoming will be the homecoming to ourselves. Come home to yourself. Feel your body in the space, in the room where you are. Bring your hand, if you like, bring your hand to your heart center. Just sort of check in on how you're doing. And know that the, 
your teachers and your ancestors and lineage holders, your sacred texts, your community, the earth, and silence are all holding you, witnessing you as you return home to yourself. And imagine then your teachers and the texts and community, your ancestors, lineage holders, the earth and silence. Imagine all of them sort of beginning to turn into light, almost like a rainbow light, mixing together in the space around you. Imagine them then just forming an energy of translucent rainbow light that begins to enter your body through the crown of your head. And then just begin to move down into your body like a nectar, just nourishing your heart, your body and your mind. And if there is any, anything beneficial that you experience in your practice today, just take note of that. And then seal that into your heart space. Quietly make a dedication to nurture and tend to and, um, and really honor that work that you did today for your own benefit and for the benefit of all. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Take a deep breath. Thank you so much for your practice. Mm -hmm.